The boys are in the starting stalls. Moods, Mytho, Rog and the Rain Man. Stand by for a start for Moody on the Mic. Hello, Roger Aldridge here. Welcome to Moody on the Mic Summer Series. Today, Moods, Mytho and myself will answer more of the questions submitted by you, the listener. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of this type and find this one just as informative and perhaps entertaining. Don't worry. We know it's a little more straight-laced than what you've come to expect from this podcast. We did have some more listener questions coming after last week, and I've banked them away for our mid-year break next year. These Summer Series podcasts were recorded last week, and it'll be played out over the next few weeks with a best bets packed on the end. If you do have questions and you're not desperate for an answer, still send them in. And as mentioned, we'll build a bank for our mid-year break in 2022. Just email Moody Mailbag moodymailbag at gmail.com so m-o-o-d-y-m-a-i-l-b-a-g at gmail.com coming up though it's the list of questions and after that the best bets for the weekend before christmas tobias hogg writes to us from hong kong sending mail as one of your hong kong listeners not quite uganda but you boys are an integral part of my weekly thursday morning journey to work Disclaimer, surely being overseas doesn't count me out of a Rosemont merch pack. If chosen, I don't want Mitho to go tight on me. Uh, so Tobias seems to understand the situation. Uh, my question is for Moods, relates to training horses for an international race. Being in Hong Kong for the last three years, yet to see an Aussie horse head over to take on some of the world's best. Obviously, being successful with Black Caviar at Ascot, what goes into getting a horse ready for a big overseas race? And, and I suppose, how does that differ if at all, uh, training one locally. So that was Tobias, was it? Yep. Firstly, Tobias with the international races in Hong Kong. Unfortunately um, for us, the, the Hong Kong international race has been in the first couple of weeks of December. Most of the Australian horses have been through the, the spring carnival. And unless they're specifically aimed at it, and certainly haven't been for the last few years through the COVID era, period, period, they usually come to the end of their tether. Um, when I was a young bloke, it used to be the Japan Cup in late November, uh, where, where people used to take horses over post the Cox Plate Melbourne Cup. And then Hong Kong be- became the big thing because the Japanese horses got too good to beat at home. And But uh, the money and prize money in that, that Australia is just very hard to warrant coming back and targeting those races over there. So it makes it hard. And the other international races they had are in March, which is in the middle of the autumn carnival. So it's not very attractive for Australian people to travel their horses anywhere at this point. To take black caviar to Europe, it probably cost her the opportunity of winning another three or four group ones in, in uh, Australia. She could have run in, uh, you know, the TJ Smith, the All Age Stakes, the Doom and 10,000, the Stradbroke, the BTC Cup. So, and the prize money isn't that good. So that's why, you know, I was fully supportive of uh, Chris Waller not taking wings overseas because she's winning more races with better prize money here. The efforts in travelling the horses, it is very hard, particularly from our part of the world, to go to the Northern Hemisphere. You're travelling through so many different time zones. Uh, Black Caviar, I think, was on her feet for some 34 or 35 hours uh, travelling from Australia to England. And she doesn't go and sit down in one A. She's got to stand in a horse box at the back of the aeroplane, go through two or three airports. Um, cargo planes get left. To, they're the last horses to be allowed to take, uh, planes to take off and land. It's a very arduous trip. The one bit of advice I do say, and all trainers will tell you, when you leave home, whether it's one week, two weeks, three weeks or four weeks before the race you're actually aiming at, or whether it's one, two or three, four days, 
the likes of Aidan O'Brien and those blokes popping over to America, which is a pretty soft trip for them. It's, you know, four or five-hour plane ride. The horse must be ready to race when it walks onto the plane uh, in its home country because you don't get the opportunity to really train them when they do land and arrive. So they must be 110% ready to run the day they leave home and that you hope they travel well, settle well wherever they're going, and uh, then you're able to get the job done. Black Caviar really didn't do any of that, but fortunately enough, she had such freakish ability, she was still able to overcome all the adversity. You, you talked about you talk about when you take a horse across to Perth uh, or those extended road trips, moods, uh, it's almost the equivalent to having another run or another two runs. Taking a horse internationally, you say you've got to be ready to race when you go. When you get there, are they essentially third up? Is, is that how big a toll it is travelling international? Oh, you can't sort of judge that. But you, once again, it comes down to reading your horse and the way they do and the way they settle and the way they cope. They certainly lose a fair bit of weight when they travel such vast distances, and whether it be by air or road. And uh, then you've got to maintain and get that back. And uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, varying things that can go wrong and a lot of things that can go right. And they've got to be closely managed, you know, and, you know, uh, liquid intake, food intake, management of that. The fact that they're not moving, they're not allowed to exercise, they can't go for a walk down the aisle on the aeroplane, uh, the blood flow is restricted and all those sort of things. So there's a lot of uh, things that can go amiss, you know, and unfortunately quite often at times not only horses but animals that travel, they can become what the terminology is travel sick. They can get lung infections and those sort of things because it's just not natural for them to be cooped up for so long. And uh, Tobias, probably uh, the, the, the concern for Hong Kong is a real challenge, I reckon, Moots, in Hong Kong at the minute because um, um, you talk about that prize money. The, the, the Aussie prize money has got so good and, and there's been major cash injections that um, it, it used to be you, you, you almost programmed, if you had a horse good enough, you programmed to try and finish in Hong Kong, if you were good enough, if you had a good enough spring, you'd leave a run up the sleeve to try and get there for the big prize money and the big wham, wham bam, thank you, man, finished before before Christmas. Whereas now that money can be accumulated here in Australia, you can have a spell and you can be right then for the autumn. Whereas um, you, you, it's, it's not as alluring. You know, they either need to major, you know, really take the next level in, in uh, prize money step up to, to lure Aussie horses up there again, um, which worked for them 10, 15 years ago, but we've, we've, we've caught up. And it's not quite as much, but it's, gee, it's comparable now. So, um, you know, the challenge is on for Hong Kong. And even horses, um, yeah, the Eagles done its job. I think Racing New South Wales said, well, we want to keep the four-year-olds in this country, in Australia, to race rather than everyone taking the check. And, and selling out to Hong Kong, I think that's had an impact in terms of the, the racing population and the quality of the, the racing population in Hong Kong. So they're, they're at the, not, I wouldn't say the crossroads, but they've got some hard decisions to make in the next, uh, next 12, 18 months, I would have thought, uh, the Hong Kong jurisdiction. How good is it to be back at the track? And they're racing. And to celebrate, Moody Valley Racing Club has released a new front runner membership. Check it out. 20 months of membership for the price of just 12. A summer full of night racing and exclusive access to the 2022 Ladbrokes Cox Plate Carnival. You get a complimentary drink and race book at every meeting. Over $400 in added value. And there's lots more. From just $175, it's the best value membership in town. Get your front runner membership today. Head to thevalley.com. 
The next question, Matt Z writes, hey, Moods, Rog, Mitho, and the Rain Man, and any staff vetting questions? Firstly, Matt, staff vetting questions. If you knew how haphazardly this uh, podcast gets put together every week, <laughs> you know there's absolutely no staff vetting questions. There's four blokes on a WhatsApp and a Zoom meeting. Um, <laughs> I'm fairly an avid with you. You're getting most of the time that other people listen to it. Yeah, um, as per moves, uh, the $2,000 fine. Exactly. And uh, we, yeah, actually, the, the listener questions coming in has been a great reminder that people actually do not only listen, but really enjoy the podcast. It was quite heartwarming to read some of the, uh, some of the things they wrote. It was great. But um, yes, it's easy to forget sometimes. Uh, I'm fairly enamored with the illustrious career of Black Caviar. So I wanted to know your thoughts on the following moods obviously do you think people would remember black caviar any differently if she had been beaten that day at royal ascot the unbelievable uniqueness about her was the fact that she was totally undefeated you know uh i've never ever put forward the suggestion that she's the best horse the greatest horse that we've ever seen but her uniqueness is that she was totally undefeated um had she been beaten at ascot you know, the Europeans would have frowned upon her and they would have said, you know, meat pie champion or whatever, kangaroo champion. But she got the job done. Uh, had she been defeated, it, it, you know, it would have been a blimp on her career for sure. That's the one thing that she holds over all other great horses, uh, that longevity and the, and, and the uniqueness about that unbeaten stretch, you know. So the answer is yes. Can I, can, I, can I, before you ask your next one, just to, sort of on that, um, the other undefeated champion that we that we saw in Europe was Frankel. Um, and it was mouthwatering at the time to think that maybe mm. Frankel could cover black caviar at some stage. You're still close to the owners. Mm. Frankel's now, you know, has to be the, the best living stallion in, in the world and has, and has proven himself, at, at, you know, to, to be that. Do you think we'll ever see the opportunity of Black Caviar visiting Frankel Moods? Well, I suppose she would probably have to miss the season here in Australia to travel and do it. So I suppose if the year ever comes where she's not in fold, maybe the ownership group uh, would consider that. But quite arduous in the fact that she would have to travel sort of three quarters of the way around the world to do that. It's not unlike our races thing, is it? You know, uh, you know our, they expect us to take our champions around the world uh, but they never travel their champions of, uh, outside of their own backyard, do they? So uh, it'll be great to think and great to see. Would it ever happen? I, listen, I really don't know. I've never floated the question with the ownership group of Black Caviar. We talk about the travelling horses overseas and how they don't get to sit in 1A. Given there's not many people on planes these days, maybe if we did travel her over to be uh, serviced by Frank, we could sit her in 1A. I mean, she's the queen of racing. She deserves it. Uh, Quite possibly. <laughs> uh, the next question from Matt, he finishes, uh, how do you deal with the pressure of training the best horse in the world? Thanks for the podcast, guys. It's an absolute gem to listen to. So how did you deal with the pressure moods? About 60 darts a day and a few 4X? Well, listen, at the time, I didn't really think it, 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 it added a lot. Um, the biggest pressure I had was um, probably brought about by the media and the public expectation external to racing. The the pressure within the racing industry was pretty much non-existent. They were very supportive and because they knew how great she was for the industry, the, any any pressure that came about preparing Black Caviar was all external. Um, 
with people with probably very little understanding of what you went through and, and realising that at the time we had a mammoth business, you know, we had over a 1,000 clients, we had probably 400, 450-odd horses, and everyone thought you just had this one horse and you were sending it round each morning and going to the races every few weeks. So I'm forgetting the fact that we're having 30 or 40 runners a week, you know, probably similar to the Ma Eustace and Walla juggernauts of today was the size of my operation back when Black Caviar was in a heyday. So... Um, how did I cope with it? I thought I coped with it pretty well, but I'm not to judge that. Um, you know, I, I think we got on, like Black Caviar used to win five or six races a year. And during her tenure, I was training probably 200 winners a year. So it suggests that I, to myself, I thought we handled it very well. It wasn't until I re- actually retired her till it, and I felt the weight that went off my shoulders that I realised probably how much pressure it, it did place upon myself. So... Uh, uh, I didn't do anything different to, to cope with it, to be quite honest, uh, and that was probably shown by my record of my other horses at the time. Was there a moment that you regret in, in her in her career, first? Like, was there was there a moment where you just thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that or said that or reacted that way? I don't think there was too many mytho. I probably did at times, maybe said things that might have pissed people off, but we actually went out of our way to really promote the industry in the right light, I think, and I think we got it right most of the time. Um, you know, there's always a narc yes. out there. There's always a narc out there that would have a shot at you and saying otherwise. But we tried to showcase her everywhere, and, and an unbelievable congratulations to the ownership group for putting their hand in the pocket and doing that. I was working in in day to day news back then, and that's where me and Moods first struck up our friendship. And that was because, um, and and you did do that. You did. It was the only time I remember racing ever making the first break of of the five or six o'clock news outside of Melbourne Cup Day. Mm-hmm was when Black Caviar was set to run and Moods would do that press conference out the front of the stables and give her a couple of laps for the cameras and do a presser. And it was the only time that racing ever made the first break from a positive story outside of the Melbourne Cup. So it certainly uh, did the job in promoting racing in the right way. Max College in Tasmania, that's his last name. It's not a, not a place of uh, tertiary education. Uh, Question for Mr. Moody here. I'm a 20-year-old from Hobart who's fallen in love with the racing industry and horses. I don't have any family or friends involved in racing and was wondering what the best option is to get started in the industry, specifically, you know, a way to training. Appreciate you guys for all the amazing content on Moody on the Mic and all the best for next year. That sounds like someone who needs to get a job as starting off as, what, a strapper in a stable or something like that, Moody. Is that the best way to do it? Yeah, for sure, Max. That would be the way to do it. And I can tell you, without the international influx of visitors and and staff and those visa people in Australia, I can tell you that the industry, whether it's in the breeding side of it or the racing side of it, is quite short staff. So if you want to have a genuine crack at involving yourself in the industry, Max, now is the time. I I would be contacting your local uh, race club or jockey club if you didn't feel you had access or whatever the Tasmanian Racing, uh, Racing Tasmania or Tasmanian Racing, Google, they will have job opportunities uh, on a a board there somewhere. Get in contact with a trainer or get in contact with a stud farm or whatever, and I'm sure they would welcome a person young and enthusiastic that wants to get into the industry and learn something. Be prepared for long, hard hours, inclement weather, and plenty of horseshit, Max, because there's plenty of it in all facets of the industry. But it is a great career if it's what your heart desires. And you'll realise pretty quickly whether it's something that you do want to follow. There's a few educational paths too, uh, Rog, just to chime in. Uh, I know Mark Soldham's a 
uh, Geelong-based college um, just down the road from us. That um, you know, and we get a, a lot of those uh, students come through here on placements, and um, you meet some good ones, you meet some bad ones, and uh, but they're all they've all got a commonality, and that is a, a love for the game. And some will, will get a career out of it, some will work out that it's not quite for them, and they they just want to punt on their Labrokes account every weekend and, and enjoy it that way. But uh, yeah, there's 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 plenty of options out there, Max. If you um, you know, need a need a helping hand, uh, reach out to a a, um, a, a racing stable or a stud farm and um, you'll, you'll have a job in no time. Make every race even more exciting with Ladbrokes Same Race Multi. Ladbrokes has Australia's biggest same race multi offering across thoroughbred greyhound, harness and international racing. Add up to four runners to a same race multi and watch your potential payout increase. Get the down low on the download and get the Ladbrokes app today. Ladbroke it! T's and C's apply. See ladrokes.com.au for details. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Okay, best best time with Moody on the mic. Let's hope we can fill that sack for Christmas. No, that's not a euphemism. I'm going to start with mine. I'm off to Flemington and a horse who has featured for me in this segment before. It's our time. That's race seven, number four. Nice win first up. I think it'll only improve off that run. Down the straight, 1,200 metres. Should be flying home. Really put the foot rung so you know you'll get a good sight. And at a price just slightly south of four bucks, I think it is a good bet. The Rosemont Rossi for Mytho, way to go. There is way to go. Paula, a couple of nice runs of late, some fast finishing efforts. She's in a Flemington race five, sits on the second line of betting at $4.40 as I record this. So race five, number 14, way to go. Paula, now the mood. So I checked in with the great man, Savo. Unfortunately for me, it was after he trained the winner of the Open Sandown at six bucks. And when he answered with, you should have called me earlier and I would have told you to get on that, I informed him I did. And that's when he realised he had his phone on silent. Anyway, I digress. Uh, one of the favourites here on Moody on the Mic and one we've all won a couple of times on uh, in recent times is Arcachetta. Uh, he's in at HQ, race eight, number one. Alana Kelly back on board with the important three kilo claims. Sitting around the $6.50 mark, Arcachetta. Flemington race eight, number one. Best of the weekend, though, Tricology on Friday night at the Valley. Worth having a double on the two, according to Moose. Only the barrier beat him last time, and he'll be set to salute in the opener on Friday night. He's around $2.30 and will likely shorten. Mooney Valley, Friday, race one, number five, Tricology. Into Flemington, Saturday, race eight, number one, Arcachetta. Hopefully, it's a profitable pre-Christmas weekend for all our loyal listeners. And as Moose says, let fast horses run fast. Let broke it.